Congregation, the text for this morning's our sermon is from John 1, the main text being verse 29. John 1, verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So far. The theme for this morning is Behold the Lamb. And with the help of the Lord, six thoughts. In the first place, the Lamb was innocent. Secondly, the Lamb died. In the third place, the Lamb takes sins away. In the fourth place, the Lamb was provided. In the fifth place, the lamb is followed. And sixth, the lamb is honored. Behold the lamb. The lamb was innocent. Without spot, without wrinkle, without anything wrong with it. Secondly, the lamb died. That was the main purpose of the lamb, for the sacrificial lamb to die. Three, the Lamb takes sins away, as we see in our text. The Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world. The Lamb was provided. Behold the Lamb. The Lamb is followed. As we see so in the following verses, that some follow the Lamb. And in the sixth place, the Lamb honored. Congregation, young people, John the Baptist, remember him? He was born from all parents, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, was raised in the hill country of Judea, and then at a certain time he just moved to the desert and lived like a hermit. And he just only ate honey and wild honey and locusts. You may remember how he was clothed in his camel hair mantle with only a girdle, very simple lifestyle. And when he was 27, he just came to Israel and he began to publicly pronounce the gospel. So that is our chapter. John the Baptist preaching the word of the living God. And people had never heard something like it. So serious. So solemn. So right on. So blunt or so about the axe in the hand of the Lord close to the tree. About the fan in his hand to purge the floor, the, the threshing floor. To also separate the kernels from the chaff. People were just stunned and amazed. And it came from the whole country, to listen to his sermons, there's crowds of people. But the Jews, it says, the Jews, who are they? The Jews did not like it. In the gospel, according to John, the word the Jews is usually negative. Usually people being critical, traditional Jews, and hostile to the Lord Jesus. But they could not stand it. 
so afraid of false doctrine, a false messiah. So they had an investigation committee. And the investigation committee had to visit John the Baptist and ask him questions and bring report back so then they could see what to do about it, what would be next. So that's why they came. We see it in God's Word that John was interrogated. As you can see it in verse 19, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are thou? Because he was preaching and he was also baptizing. Who did he think he was? Was he the Messiah or so? Was he proud? Was he assuming something? They had no trust in that. And were very concerned. Who are thou? And he confessed and denied not but confessed, I am not the Christ. They were expecting the Messiah to come. John the Baptist said, no, it's not me. Not at all. And they asked him, well then, about Elias. Elias? Why asking the question, why they, why he would think to be Elijah or Elias? Well, don't we read about that in Malachi, in the Old Testament, in Malachi 4? Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. See, so they had read the Bible. They knew Malachi 4. So they said, are you then Elijah, the famous Elijah will come? And John the Baptist said, no, I'm not. Although, in a sense, he was. Although he was coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. But he was not Elijah himself. As the Jews were expecting the Elijah himself to come. The same Elijah. She said, no, I'm not an Elijah either. Well, was he then maybe the prophet? The prophet? What do you mean? The prophet. Well, as I said, they knew the Old Testament, and they had read also Deuteronomy 18. And there we read, I will raise them up a prophet from among the brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. But no, he was not that prophet either. So what well then? They said unto him, Who art thou, that he may give an answer to them that send us? What sayest thou of thyself then? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, and as said the prophet Isaiah. 
So that's what he wanted to say. He was preparing the way of the Lord. He was the one Isaiah had prophesied. And then verse 24 it says, suddenly, and, the, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. So the Jews sent the scribes and the Levites, which were the Pharisees. So I suppose that means that the Jews from the Sanhedrin, who were connected to the sect of the Pharisees, sent scribes and Levites also sympathizing with the Pharisees, and they were often hard-nosed people. They were known for their, for their audacity. They were known for being strict and precise and perfectionist. So they were sent and they wanted to know, who are you? I had to think about that. Some so concerned about their, their, their faith and their doctrine and so concerned about the fallen Messiah. And the real Messiah was so close. And he had no knowledge of him. They did not see him. They did not even desire him. They did not even wait for him. And they were so upset about this John the Baptist that he was pretending to be someone so very agitated, religiously agitated, angry, concerned, and unconverted. No use for Jesus. See that? Oh, we fell so deep. And the one is serving the world. And the other one is religious. But not only the world is dangerous. Religion is dangerous as well. And we are so stuck on it must be true that false doctrine, and it's right, it is a concern. What about yourself? Forgetting yourself. They were forgetting about themselves, those Pharisees. John the Baptist was asked, Why baptize thou then? If thou not be that Christ, nor Elijah, and he answered, I baptize with water, but there stand the one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I'm not worthy to unloose. So he is preaching the Lord Jesus, who is close to them. The next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him, the crowd of people, and John the Baptist had seen him before because he had baptized him, right? And a dove had come down from heaven and sat on the Lord Jesus, so he knew who he was. So he is to coming after me, speak for before me. Whose shoes led you down the river to and loose. And it happened close to the Jordan River. 
And the next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him, say, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold. Sometimes beholding in the Bible means to cease, to behold someone is to see someone. Sometimes the behold means something else. Sometimes behold means not more than pay attention. Behold, Lazarus is sick. Or behold, that's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. So sometimes behold is just an interjection. And you could also put a comma behind it. Behold, comma, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So he is preaching the Lord Jesus as the only innocent Lamb, the Lamb of God. The Israelites knew about those lambs. They had seen it numerous of times in the temple. And also at the Passover meal, they had also a lamb. They separated the lamb for a few days from the flock and tended it and then killed the lamb. And those lambs were special to them. They knew, that they knew those lambs had to be without any blemish. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male or the, of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And apparently it was important that that animal was without blemish. Connect that to 1 Peter 1 verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. So John the Baptist is preaching to the crowd, including the, the Pharisees, including those priests and scribes. He's preaching the Lamb of God, the innocent Lamb of God. The Lamb had to be perfect, and so the Lord Jesus had to be perfect in perfect obedience, in perfect faithfulness, being pure, holy, obedient, without guile, who did no sin. What a a sentence. He did no sin. He never failed. He did not know what it was who did, not, did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but commit himself to him that judges righteously. The Lord Jesus was so perfect, so beautiful who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. 
So he was carrying the sins in his own body, but he had not sinned himself. He was the just one. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. So that Lamb, John the Baptist was preaching, was the immaculate Lamb of God, was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and yet no sins, he was the just one, to save the unjust. Did you hear that? Don't you feel unjust? Do you feel that you don't qualify for God's grace? Oh, don't we love this Jesus? Don't you love him? Can you never say from the heart, my beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousands? He knew no sin. Do you appreciate him? Do you love to hear about him being immaculate, him being so pure and holy, Does your heart go out to him sometimes? That's the Savior. I like to see that. I like to dwell on that. That he had no sin, no guile. That he was just for the unjust. But you see the difference between him and us? His father spoke about him when he was baptized. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So well pleased with God the Father, could not find any spark, any blemish. So the Lord can find much on our soul, right? There are spots and blemish everywhere. But he had no sin. He was an immaculate Lamb of God. And he also makes innocent. With his obedience, with his innocence, he makes innocent. He takes also sin away, as we hope to see later. The lamb was innocent. Secondly, the lamb died. A lamb, a sacrificial lamb, had only one purpose, really. It was not used to pull a chariot like a horse, did not need to pull a plow, it was not able to do that. It was not for the wool because it was too young. Actually, only one thing that happened to the lamb, and the lamb was for. It had to die. That's all, it had to die. And they just took that lamb a couple of days before Passover and set it apart. The only, only thing had to happen to that lamb was to be slain, to be killed. His blood needed to fall. Behold the Lamb of God. So the people knew that. They knew what that meant. They knew what the sacrificial Lamb was for. To die. Behold the Lamb of God. He needs to die. That is why the Lord Jesus was born in the human nature. 
not only to live, but mainly to die, to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord Jesus died. We read it in God's Word in Exodus 12, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it, so it had to be killed. Behold the Lamb of God. And you would maybe say, why? Why killed? Well, Adam was made from the clay, and the Lord breathed in him the spirit of life, the soul. And so because of sin, the Lord Jesus had to breathe out life. He had to give his life. Because Adam deserved death. And we do with him. So one of the most beautiful and precious words in the Bible is John 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, has received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Have you seen people giving up the ghost? Some of you have. Some of you have witnessed death. Someone is breathing and still alive, and then that point comes of dying and just over. That's such a special moment. So serious. And that happened to the Lord Jesus. He was hanging on the cross and he was suffering. But then he said, It's finished. And he yielded up the ghost. And his body was there, not moving anymore. Nothing. The lamb for the Passover did not live a long life, but had to be slain. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. So the Lord Jesus was slain as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before a sheep is done, so he opened not his mouth. So he died willingly. He died himself. He gave up the ghost himself. He laid his own life down. He stopped living himself. He came as the second Adam. Do you see the contrast? Oh, that wrath of God, right? Our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 15 speaks about that the Lord Jesus was carrying the wrath of God against the sin of all mankind. It could not be worse. He took all the guilt there was. He 
see, give sufficient salvation if needed for the whole world to save the elect, sufficient for the world. Hebrews 9. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Really, the Lamb to die, is that the solution? Is there no better way? Is it not sufficient to feel sorry? To apologize to the Lord? And to better your life? And to pray more? And to read the Bible more? And to do your best and to believe? No, that does not suffice. A full payment needs to be made. Nothing else but the death of the Lamb suffices. And he died. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. See, even the Apostle Peter, when he was confronted with this, and the other disciples said, no, it's not going to happen. I don't think he needs to die. So it is even possible today that people of God believe in the Lord Jesus and still don't understand the necessity of his death. It's possible that people of God believe in the Lord Jesus. Yes. To whom else shall we go? Does the words of eternal life, and they know something of Jesus, you know something of his priest? No, no, of his prophetic office. And you know something of his kingly office. But maybe not so much about his priestly office. That is usually, the Lord usually takes time for them to let him grow in grace, to show them more in depth what the death of the Lord Jesus is about. Usually it does not come in one day. It is possible that God's people are at the Lord's Supper table. And that they rightly may sit there. And they also eat of the bread. And they are God's people. Maybe even a blessing. But it is possible they don't understand yet. This is my body. Broken. Broken for you. Behold the Lamb of God. He is taking sins away, our third thought. Would you like your sins to be taken away? May I ask a question? Could you answer this personally? Say yes or no? Would you appreciate would you really appreciate your sins being taken away? 
would you be the happiest person in the whole world if God would say, your sins are forgiven you? Does it matter how much you sinned? No. Is it not easier to God to forgive a good person? No. Even if you have persecuted the church, have killed Uriah, have taken Bathsheba, it does not matter how much we sinned, how frequently, how serious, how foolish, how contrary to the law, how bluntly, how publicly, how secretly, this lamb takes any sins away, any amount of sin away. Have you not seen before that his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins? Yes, but even the elect, right, are the world. Even if you've only sinned one sin and have done nothing really right, the rest. We can yet be saved, even when, we, even when our nature is perverse to the core. The blood of Jesus washes sins away. All the sins can come off. All the sins can be blotted out. And when God does that, there is no sin left. He can take it away. Away. Away is away. When he takes sin away, there's no sin left. When he takes sin away, there's no spot of blemish to be seen. Then people are absolutely and completely perfect before God. Although they're still sinners, although they still have an old man to fight with, but they have no guilt anymore. I, even I, am he that blotted out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sin. So the Lord is promising his people, I will never bring it up again. I will not remember it anymore. I like Micah 7, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee? Who is a God like unto thee? Do you know a second one? Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth a mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all the sins into the depths of the sea. Gone. You cannot retrieve it anymore. The, the, the Lamb of God taking away the sin 
of the world. Isaiah talks about casting sin behind your back. What the Lord is doing, right? Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast, for thou, O Lord, hast cast all my sins behind thy back. That's when the Lamb came, to take sin away. Don't this appeal to you? Does it not appeal to you? Don't you need a Savior? He can do it. He can take all your sins away. It doesn't matter who you are, what you did. That purging is so profound that not one sin remains unforgiven. It results in the forgiveness of all our sins. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. See, it is blood that has been erased. There's nothing left. So when did the Lamb die? As we have seen on the cross. When Jesus said with a loud voice, it is finished. But the decree of his death is from eternity. This was God's plan. This was not, I say with reverence, this is not plan B. This was plan A. Listen to Revelation 13. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before the world was created, the Lamb already presented himself. And the decree was made already that he would die. So that Jew and Gentile, male and female, old and young, rich and poor, can be saved. The Lamb died. The Lamb provided. You may wonder if this Lamb is still there. If he is still willing to save and he is preached unto us, and we are called to hardly confess our sins, but let us focus on the Lamb of God provided, because it says the Lamb of God. Why is the Lamb called the Lamb of God? Because he is God? Yes. Also he was given by God, the Lamb of God. The Lord provided him. Let me take you to the Bible story of Genesis 22. Isaac, the son of Abraham, not Ishmael, no Isaac. The Lord said to Abraham, Take Isaac, thy son, and go to the Mount 
I will show you and sacrifice him there. How can that be? That's so strange. It does not make any sense. He was the covenant boy, the covenant seed. He was born as a miracle when we were old. And now, kill him. But okay. Abraham did. The next morning they took the wood and they took the fire and they prepared and they traveled to the mount the Lord showed them, Mamariah. And they left also the servants behind them and they took the wood and they took the knife and they took... But they forgot something, right? Or not? And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham says, My son. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. See now? Tonight is about God's providence again. The Lord willing. So this text also fits in the evening service. Sermon. But here, God will provide himself a lamb. And so true God did. When they're on the top of the mountain and the altar was built and Isaac was on the altar and Abel was using his knife and lifting it up and close to unbelievably slay his own son. It was the voice of the angel that stopped him. It was a ram instead. See, so the Lord Jesus has come so that you don't need to be slain. So the lamb will be slain. That's the gospel, right? The substitution. John Bunyan wrote about that moment as well, in the Pilgrim's Progress. We often focus on the gate, right? He left the city of destruction and went through the gate. But let us go a little further. Let let us see that he comes to the cross. He begins to see something of the Lamb. Let, let, Let me read the piece. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden was loosed from his shoulders and fell from his back and began to tumble and continue to do so until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in, and I saw it no more. Then Christian was glad and light-hearted, and said with a merry heart, He has given me rest through his soul. 
He's given me rest through his sorrow and life through his death. He stood still a while to look and wonder, for it surprised him that the sight of the cross should ease him of his burden. The sight of the cross eased him of his burden. He looked and looked until the tears streamed down his cheeks. And as I stood looking and weeping, three shiny ones, three angels, came to him and said, Peace to you. The first said to him, Your sins are forgiven. The second stripped him of his rags and clothed him with a clean garment, and the third placed a mark on his forehead and gave him a roll with the seal upon it, which he told him to look at as he ran and handed in at the celestial city. See, not all God's people have come so far. Some are on their way yet, have not consciously entered into the gate. Others have come through the gate, and the Lord Jesus is more important now. But they have not seen the death of the Lord Jesus yet. The congregation, the Lamb, is the Lamb of God. The Pharisees hated him, but he was close to them, and they were blind for him. He also is God. He has come from God. Like Moses provided a brazen serpent to look upon, so God has provided a lamb, a sacrifice for sin. And it is my privilege to preach him today. The Lamb of God. Take away the sins of the world. You're so welcome. The Lord has provided him. So there are obstacles, right? And between him and us. And those obstacles are the obstacles we put there. The Lamb followed. John the Baptist preached the only name given among men by whom we must be saved. Behold, come out. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And I don't see, I don't hear any response. So, did they not hear it? Did nobody hear it? And again, verse 35, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So the next day he preached the same sermon. Kind of. The Lamb of God. And this time in verse 37, something happened. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. 
And Jesus turned around. He must have liked it, don't you think? Two of his disciples were following him. He turned around. And he said, Lord, seek him. They said, I am the rabbi. Where dwellers are? Can we visit? And he said, come and see. And they came and sovereignly dwelt and abode with him that day. Unforgettable. It was the tenth hour. They remember. So they followed. It is not enough to hear of the Lamb. We must learn to follow him. To connect to him. To come unto him. Come and see. They came and saw they dwelt in a bowl with him today. Can you relate to that? That following of him? What is that? What is today? Following the Lamb. Well, nobody follows if you don't hear of him. So have you heard of him? The sound doctrine. Nobody follows him if people don't feel a need for him. Do you need him? Do you need that Savior? Do you hunger for him? Because of your sins, do you really want him, need him? Do you also feel unworthy of him? Unworthy of the Lamb? But does your heart sometimes go out unto him? And does your mind focus on him? Do you sometimes delight in him? Do you sometimes give yourself over unto him? Do you sometimes rely on him? Do you believe in him? See? That is following him. Following him is not something vague. It is worked by the Holy Spirit through the earth in your heart. And he is so real. It is like as if he speaks to your heart of your salvation. He gives that seal and that assurance by moments or more that in Jesus is life. And you really like it. And you just delight in such a message. The Lamb of God. Don't be afraid of the Lamb. He won't kick you out. He does not reject sinners. And you don't need to qualify. You don't need to pay a dime. He will not let you down and does not disappoint anyone. The Savior provided and people are called to follow him, to be in the midst of death and to admit that and to seek life outside of self and another and to be on their way to him. Come unto Jesus.
Have you studied the book of John Bunyan? That we handed out a couple weeks ago. Come and welcome to Jesus. If you did not pick up on that, it's probably something in the foyer left or asking bookstore. You need to read that. That the Lord Jesus calls people. That the Father pulls them out of the world. And that the Lord Jesus makes himself precious. And that that coming is a coming of the heart. This lamb finally is also honored. You can even see that in our text, right? Because John the Baptist speaks of the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. He's exalting him, isn't he? He is glorifying him. He makes him great. And that is actually something that God's people like. They re- when the Lord applies the gospel, they rejoice in giving glory to him. They rejoice in praising him and make his name great. Let me show you. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. They were slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and blessing. See? So in heaven, the angels and the church represented give glory to God and speak about worthy is the Lamb. The really Lamb-oriented people. Or Revelation 5. And I beheld a law in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And Revelation 7. After this I beheld a lower great multitude which no man could number, vile nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So there will be something to go to heaven and to be united with God, and to see the Lamb, and to say, worthy is the Lamb. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, Thou King of saints, 
of the Lamb. What about being married to the Lamb? Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife has made herself ready. See that? Brought an honor to the Lamb and then to be married to him. To be married to someone who could not be better. To the Lamb himself, to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, presented, exemplified as the Lamb. So let us begin the closing. Isaiah 1, verse 18. There's an application, right, tonight, this morning. Come. Come now. And let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. See that? So the Lord is working it, and the Lord invites to it, and the Lord calls you to to see your salvation in this lamb, in this innocent, beautiful lamb who was willing to die and gave himself over and is worthy of all honor and glory. But be careful. If we deny such salvation of the Lamb, this Lamb will turn around and be so fierce and so angry. This Lamb, this meek and docile and gentle Lamb, who the church marries, Revelation 6. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and hide us, hide our face, hide us from the face of the wrath of the Lamb, and from the wrath of the Lamb. So it's to one or the other. The Lamb is all we need, all we desire, and we follow Him. Or He will turn someday against us. That precious Lamb. You'll be surprised that such a gentle lamb can be so wrathful. But you know, don't you understand it? He gave it all. He provided. He died. He sacrificed himself. And then people ignoring him. And then people just looking the other way and despising him. Can you imagine? It is such a so provoking thing. I heard this week <clears throat> of a boy, 16 years old, 
16. And he said to his pastor, if the whole world is saved, except me, I can't understand that. I understand that. If everyone be saved, except me, I am able to understand that. What a, what a deep thought. What a special place to me. What a sweet place to me. What a good place to me. If you have nothing, absolutely nothing, and you're the chief of the sins, and the precious Lamb says, your sins are forgiven you. Amen.